<clears throat> Jesus taught faith and modeled mercy. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, when Jesus had crossed in again in the, in, the, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered him, around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. <clears throat> and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered with uh, much under many physicians and had been, had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse she had heard the reports about Jesus so write that down she had heard the reports about Jesus this is so important Twelve years, it says, she suffered at the hands of the physicians. Twelve years. But she heard the report about Jesus. Very, 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 very important. She had heard the reports about Jesus. This changes everything. Hearing the report about Jesus changes everything. You know, she had 12 years of a bad experience, but she heard one time, well, you know, one, I don't know, she had heard the reports, plural, multiple reports, but she had heard the reports about Jesus. And all of a sudden, this changed everything. Okay, so she had 12 years of bad experience. <laughs> she had 12 years of bad experience. This is so good. <laughs> I love this part, dude. She had heard the reports about Jesus. The reports about Jesus. Twelve years, she had a bad experience. She experienced something that was not the will of God. Now, many times, and the reason why I say this is not the will of God, if, if it was the will of God for her to be bleeding for twelve years, then why would Jesus go against the will of God to heal her? A lot of people think, wow, she, it, was, it was the will of God that she's bleeding, bleeding. If it was the will of God, which I translate that word will as the desire, right? If you say, oh, it's not God's will, but you're saying it's not his desire. If you say, well, it's not God's will to heal, then you're saying it's not his desire to heal. So if it was God's will for her to be suffering for 12 years, then it would have been her, God's desire for her to serve for 12 years. And when Jesus came and healed her, actually, Jesus didn't even touch her. She touched him. But she got healed. If it was not the will of God, does it make sense what I'm saying? <laughs> Why would Jesus go against the will of God to heal her if it wasn't already the will of God? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <laughs> Good stuff. 
but she had heard the report. See, for 12 years, <clears throat> she had heard the report of the doctor. You know, too often we have an infirmity, we have some weakness, we have something that's uh, stealing away from us, and we literally begin to identify with it. I mean, think about this. Everyone probably knew her as the bleeding woman. That's the woman that's, you know, been bleeding for 12 years. Like, she had an identity with it now. That's how, she, that's how probably people associated her. Oh, you're, that's the woman right there. I think that's another reason why she came secretly. She didn't bust through the crowd and get his attention and say, hey, will you pray for me? She probably had a reputation for being the bleeding woman. In a Jewish custom and tradition and law, she couldn't be around everybody. She couldn't be touching everybody. In fact, the fact that she touched him made Jesus unclean. According to Levitical law, now he has to go wash and be unclean for, I can't remember if it's a few days or if it's just till the evening, but yeah. Even if she touches just his garment? Mm -hmm. The garment now becomes unclean. Whatever she touches, anything she sits on, anything she touches, if she has a flowing of blood, according to Levitical law, let's look it up. <clears throat> Levitical law on a bleeding. Leviticus 15, verse 25. Leviticus 15, verse 25, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, which this woman definitely had that, <laughs> 12 years, all the days of the discharge she shall, con she shall continue in uncleanliness, as in the days of her impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual period. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean. And shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is uh, cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days. And after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves of, or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to, to the entrance of the tent of the meeting. The priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Mm. She touched him. She touched him. She's not supposed to be touching everybody. Makes everybody unclean. Then they all got to go wash. But he's the high priest. Oh, yeah, but he's the high priest. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, so he declares her clean, too. So that's the thing. There's a there's a thing about it. You have to be clean. You have to stop bleeding, and then you have to be declared clean by the priest, and then he has to offer a sacrifice, which he did. So Jesus became unclean. But this is the beautiful. This is the beautiful thing about it. Like she is so good. But that's why she was so. That's why she came quietly, <laughs> because it's, she was considered unclean. She said, "If I just touch the hem of garments, he won't even know." <laughs> 15, verse 25. It might not have been the garments. According to this, it says her beds. Her bed, anything she sits on in her bed. It says clothes and 
But here it says that he, the man, if anyone, he or she, anyone was to touch those things, they have to wash their clothes. I imagine, though, that her, the clothes would become unclean, too. You know? Well, we know this for sure. Jesus never broke the Levitical law whatsoever. Right. No, 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 no. But see, that's the thing about these. These are uncleanliness laws. They aren't necessarily sin laws. Um, sin makes you unclean. Sickness makes you unclean. Uh, sex makes you unclean. I don't understand all that. I just know that that's what the Bible says. So there's a matter of being unclean. And so these things make you unclean. And then you have to do ceremonial cleansing. Okay, so for instance, there's a lot of things in our life that aren't outright sin, but they still make you unclean. Make sense? So, for instance, if I'm watching TV and something flips on and something enters my mind now because I saw something on the TV, well, I didn't sin, but that thing made me unclean. So now I need to go wash spiritually in the Word. See what I'm saying? <laughs> Being unclean wasn't sinful. Being unclean was just unclean. Sin could make you unclean. Sickness could make you unclean. Being on your period could make you unclean. Having sex made you unclean. If a, if a lizard fell into a pot, it made it unclean. So unclean, make sense? I don't understand it 100%. It's kind of a mystery of the, a mystery of the scriptures. But being unclean was something you had to take care of. You couldn't just, it's perfections, matter of perfections. You know what I mean? So being unclean was a state of being, but these things made you unclean. And one of those things was sin. One of those things was sickness. You see what I'm saying? Make sense? Cool? So anyway, I find it very interesting. Jesus was there walking. She's like, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, you know, and then she gets healed. It's amazing. So what happens is a transfer. You know, she became clean and he became unclean. <laughs> Check this out. Um... He who knew no sin became sin. I believe this can go. Second uh, Corinthians. Go to Second Corinthians chapter five. <clears throat> Verse twenty-one says. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, Jesus was also considered a lamb. John chapter 1 says, Behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. And on those lambs, they would literally transfer their sin to the lamb, and then so they could become clean. See? So, when Jesus... That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> so... We're talking about uh, something really amazing here. I, I, I just love the story, okay? But, you know, this brings me to another story. My, my wife was, um, uh, the first time we recorded this, my wife was having trouble. She was, uh, she called me up right before we did the recording. She said, Zach, you know, my body's trying to get rid of the baby. <clears throat> and so uh, I immediately started praying for her because we've already lost one baby before. But the, the scripture says you'll not be bearing a miscarry is in the book of Exodus. Says you shall not be barren or miscarry. So it's part of the curse, a part of um, sin entering in the world that we have miscarriages and we lose babies and we can't have babies. But the scriptures make it clear that it's a part of the blessing of God 
to be able to have children and to not be barren and to not miscarry. So the first time we lost our baby uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the Lord, I knew the word said, you will not be barren or miscarry. And I'd, I would preach it, I'd share it, and I'm like, you know, I don't, and I finally got it inside me because she was bleeding a lot. I knew if the, if the baby came out, God would put another one in there. <clears throat> and I told, I told somebody there, they came out of bed and sat down and said, I don't care if the baby comes out, God will put another one in there. Because that's the truth. The Word of God says, you'll not be barren or miscarry. So six weeks later, we had got pregnant again with Samuel. And we called him Samuel because the word Samuel means God has heard, and Kai means life. <clears throat> so he was our redemption child. So now we're pregnant with our fifth child. And uh, anyway, she started to bleed uh, a few weeks ago. My wife called me. Of course, my stomach just drops like that, you know. I'm like, golly, get off me, Satan. So I start praying in the name of Jesus and just rebuking the devil and claiming the word of God. And uh, it was so interesting. My wife says, you know, um, after I start pray finish praying, I said, listen, I don't want to be insensitive, um, but I'm about to preach on faith. So call me back, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here, and I'm going to preach, and then I'll come home. I'm going to share on faith. And so she called me back and put her on speakerphone. But before that, she said, hey, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Just call uh, up uh, this prayer line, prayer hotline. And I thought it was very interesting because my wife did not say, I'm going to call the doctor. Like the first thing she said, I'm going to have someone pray. And that was awesome. So she called me in a few minutes later, and I preached. And it turns out she only, she only bled for about 30 minutes. But as I was preparing and praying and waiting for my wife to call me back, I got this word about Jairus' daughter. And so... <clears throat> That's why I looked at the scripture, and that's why we're reading it right now in Mark chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 9, um, because I believe the Lord had given me, uh, had shown me this and reminded me, and so I just started, I saw this um, passage here where the woman got healed of the blood issue, and then the right after that, just keep going. So, well, I won't keep reading right now, I'm going to finish the story, but there's this, um, in this story, you have the woman uh, who had the issue of blood. Of course, that sounds very familiar to what my wife's going through, you know, when she was bleeding. So that was powerful to hear that story. And But the main thing is, you see with your eyes, she had 12 years of suffering, but she believed the reports. She had heard the reports about Jesus. That changes everything. You can have a bad experience, but that bad experience doesn't prove the will of God. Whenever the, whenever the Israelites went into the land of Canaan, there were giants there. And it says they came back with an evil report. Why did they have an evil report? Because it was contradictory to what they had heard God said. They heard the reports of Jesus. What's the report of Jesus? You will not be buried in miscarry. So we start seeing her bleed. <clears throat> so what do we do? We profess the report of Jesus, not the report of the devil. Not, not the report of what we see, not the giant that's before us. We have to say, no, the report of Jesus says. And then profess the report of Jesus. That's what made her press through the entire crowd. She refused to take no for an answer. She refused to look at her experience and say, I'm just doomed to be like this forever. No, she heard the report of Jesus and it changed her mind. She stopped identifying with what she was. She stopped identifying with what her, she was going through. She stopped identifying with her bad experience. She stopped identifying with her infirmity. She stopped identifying with her weakness. And she started to say, I'm going to claim the promise of Jesus. I have a report. The report is of Jesus. She, he heals everybody he touches. <laughs> Jesus is in town. I gotta go. <laughs> you know, if we just understand that Jesus lived inside of us, yeah. 
And if we knew it, we would be going, we'd be laying hands on the sick all the time, boldly. And then they would see and recognize Jesus is in us, and they'd come to us. Can you pray for me? You know? Good stuff. So, I got this story. So, we're going to keep reading this story, and I'll finish, I'll finish my personal story here in a minute. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For he said, she said, I, if, I, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. Because she understood that if she just touched the garment, something could be unclean. You see? She knew. Look at that. Think about the fear level she walked in every day, wondering about, man, if I touch this person, I've got to tell them that they've got to go wash. She lived... With the mentality of everything I touch becomes unclean. <laughs> she had been acclimated to a thought process of all I have to do is touch something and it becomes unclean. So in her brain, all she could think was if I could just touch him, I could be made clean. She had become acclimated to a lifestyle for 12 years of being careful about what she touched. It's powerful stuff. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the, in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You, you see the crowd pressing around you? You, you say, Who touched me? <laughs> he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith... Has made you well. Too many times we, we don't want to focus on this word right here, faith. Your faith has made you well. Now, notice that in the next half of the story, Jesus doesn't get onto the parents for their lack of faith. The only time Jesus ever got on somebody for the lack of faith was if they were a follower of Jesus. Jesus never rebuked someone who was sick for lack of faith. But he did praise them for their great faith. Check this out for a minute. If they had great faith, remember, he says, greater faith in all of Israel have I not seen in this, in this woman, in this Syrophoenician woman. Same thing with the centurion. These people were not even people of God. These people were on the outside. They weren't even believers in God necessarily they were believers in God they weren't believers they weren't Jewish they were not in the in crowd they weren't the churchgoers you see what I'm saying but they were believers otherwise he wouldn't have said greater faith than all of Israel have I not seen right I have not seen greater faith in all of Israel so he talks about the Syrophoenician woman like that and he talks about the centurion like that greater faith in all of Israel have I not seen greater faith so he says so there's 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 little faith it's so interesting. The outside people, they weren't even Jews. They weren't even the churchgoers in a sense, and they weren't the followers of Jesus. Yet God said they had the greater faith. And he looked at his disciples all the time and said, you have little faith. The ones that were walking right next to him. <laughs> so obviously, Jesus talks about little faith and great faith. But you, you never hear Jesus rebuke a sick person for not having faith. Okay? 
The reason why is because I believe this. If they came and they had faith, he let them know. Your faith made you well. If they didn't have faith, though, he prayed for them. That's all. He had faith for them. He demonstrated. You see what I'm saying? Now, the only people he did say that to were the ones that were walking closest to him. His disciples. The students. How come we couldn't cast the demon out of that boy? Because of your unbelief. Or, some translations, because of your little faith. Or, or Jesus, or Peter, whenever he was walking on the water. First of all, he had faith. He got on the boat, right? I mean, how the heck did he walk on the water without faith? <laughs> but then he started singing. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? So we now we understand that faith, that little faith, is Okay, check this out. People say this. All you need is a little bit of faith, right? They'll say just a faith the size of a mustard seed, right? Everybody says that. The problem with that is Jesus rebuked a little faith. In fact, even in that passage, the size of a mustard seed, let's check it out. Check it out. Size of a mustard seed. <clears throat> I believe it's Luke chapter 17. Keep your finger in Mark chapter 5. Instead, as it's uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 5 through 6, the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. That's not the one I want. It's still good. We can read it. <clears throat> Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and plant in the sea, and it would obey you. So they were saying, Increase our faith. And he's saying, If you just had this little amount of faith. That's what they say. That's what they, they, they interpret that as. Okay, so let's go down. Let's see if I can find a different um, passage here. It talks about the... Because uh, it's really talking about forgiving people in that passage, increasing our faith. This is right here. Pay attention to yourself. So if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Increase our faith. So obviously he's, like, he's talking about... Um, being able to forgive people. And Jesus is saying, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree be uprooted and it would obey you. And the next part says, will any of you who have a servant plowing or, 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 or keeping sheep say to him, come at once. So he's talking about his, their duty. Saying, oh, yeah, watch this. Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you, and blind answer is no, right? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, forgiving one another, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So he's, in context, we're talking about forgiving one another. So says, increase our faith. Well, <laughs> yes, it takes faith to forgive people, right? If you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say that this mulberry tree be uprooted and it would obey you. And listen, I mean, you're only doing your duty, that's what, so these, we're talking about in context here, using these three different illustrations. You know, forgiving them every time they sin against you. Wait, increase our faith. You just need a mustard seed faith. And then he says, it's just your duty. Faith is your duty. Faith is your duty. Forgiveness is your duty. In fact, forgiveness is the bare minimum of faith. 
forgiveness is the foundation of all your faith. If you can't forgive, then your faith will always lack. He's saying this is beginner faith, forgiving. Forgiving those who hurt you. That's the beginning of your faith. If you can't forgive, then you haven't even gotten to faith 101. The whole reason Jesus came, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that anyone who believed in Him would not perish, forgiveness, but have everlasting life. <clears throat> for God demonstrated His own love toward us even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Love your enemies, pray for them, and bless those who curse you. That's the beginning of faith. It's the foundation of our faith. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, forgiving us of our sins, is the foundation of our faith. If we can't forgive others, we've missed the gospel. <laughs> we've missed the entire thing that Jesus bought. How can we ever expect to fully tap into every other area that requires faith if we can't get down forgiveness? Forgiveness is the beginning. It's the doorway. That's why Jesus says, if you cannot forgive your brother from your heart, you also will not be forgiven. <clears throat> you haven't even entered into faith until you've learned to forgive. Why? It takes faith to believe that God can forgive you. And it takes faith to believe that you can forgive others. <laughs> it's only because you've been forgiven that you can forgive others. I mean, the only reason why we would demand somebody to pay back a debt is because if we had a debt of our own. And we were, in the, we were anxious to pay it off. i got to pay this debt off. You need to pay me back now. I need my $20 right now because I have a $100 um, electric bill I have to pay. And I don't have my money. And if you just give me my $20, I could pay that bill off. But don't you know your electric bill's been forgiven? Someone else has paid for it? You don't need to collect any more debts. <laughs> your debts have been canceled. Therefore, you don't have to collect any debts from anyone. That's good stuff. Why would you hold against someone one crime that they did to you, one, one sin, when you have... Why would you, why would you hold someone uh, an hour's worth of debt... Let's say that somebody sinned against you one time within one hour. They did one thing that really offended you. And it stole away an hour of joy in your life. But now it's really it's, it's planted a tree in your life where it just keeps on sucking joy every day. Because you can't forgive. Even though it was just one moment in your whole life. <laughs> we can't forgive. So it's like we press the rewind button and replay. Rewind, replay. Rewind, replay, rewind, replay. And the thing is, it only happened one time. But the reason why we have a hard time forgiving is we keep replaying. Replay, replay, replay. We're reliving it every time we see that person. And it doesn't even say size. It says as. Faith as. Unless I was going to get to that. <laughs> Jesus rebukes little faith. So we can't really say mustard seed faith is a little faith. Mustard seed faith must be something else. But as long as we keep replaying in our mind, then this, what we're doing is we are multiplying the offense. It only happened one time. Yet we replay. We multiply it. <laughs> it's crazy. So how can we don't forgive one debt that might have happened for five minutes or an hour, maybe even a day. Or let's just say somebody took advantage of you day after day after day for five years of your life, ten years of your life. 
The truth is, I still owe God a life debt. There is nothing bigger than what I owe God. I owe God a life debt, a life full of sin. Every single thing I've ever sinned, if I sin against you one time, I still sin against God. If I sin against that guy, I still sin against God. Every time I've sinned against one person, I've sinned against God. So all of my sins, now I owe to God. So how come I can't forgive one person one thing they owe me when I owe God an entire life debt? When I get forgiven an entire life debt, there's no reason for me to hold against anyone else. Make sense? All right, we're getting back to faith. Faith. So let's find this one. Um, it also depends on what translation you're looking at. Luke chapter 17, verse 6. You know, the New International Version says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. So that's why people think as small as a mustard seed. But in my translation, it says as a mustard seed. Faith like a grain of mustard seed. Um, but, you know, they're also, you have to understand the context. He says, increase our faith. So now he's saying, if you had just grow like this big, you know, increase. You see, so they're talking about increasing their, their faith, meaning that we can grow in our faith, right? It can get bigger. So he's saying... If you just had faith like this, what he's talking about, let's put it this way. What is a seed? It's the beginning. Oh, so good. Faith. A seed is the beginning of something. It's the very beginning. Jesus is saying if your faith is was even at the beginning of faith, like a seed, you could accomplish great things. You could forgive that person. Why? Because the faith that you need to forgive someone is just the beginning of all your faith. That's a really good word. <laughs> the seed is the beginning of that tree. Forgiving someone is the beginning of all your faith. Check this out. Let's go here. Uh... I can't remember where the fig tree is. One second. I think it's Matthew 21. Yeah. I remembered it right when I typed it. <laughs> Matthew 21. Let's go over there. Verse 18, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to, sit to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled and said, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. There's another fig tree. Oh, come on. Matthew 21, 21, 18, 21, 18. Mark 11. <clears throat> Hold your finger there. Matthew, Matthew 21, okay? Mark 11. As they passed by, verse 20, 
<clears throat> As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its root, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus said to him, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Alright, so let's see here. Uh, let's, I'm, I'm bringing these two examples up. Matthew 17. Now let's go to Matthew 17. All right, so these times, both these times in the fig tree moment, he said to them, um, a mountain, right? He talked about moving a mountain. Well, there's another portion where he talks about moving a mountain, and he talks about mustard seed. Okay, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It says, truly, it says, because of your little faith, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. All right, so hold on a second. Y'all follow on here? Mm -hmm. I'm going to write a few things down. Poopers. Hold on a minute. I've got to hold my place in my Bibles and whatnot. Okay. <clears throat> Matthew 17. It says, faith, what does it say? Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to the moon, you can move mountain, right? So we, we say, in Matthew 17, he describes moving the mountain with a mustard seed. Make sense? Um, where was the other part? It said, uh, it was Luke chapter, what? It was the mulberry one, right? Luke 17. All right, so Luke chapter 17. It talks about um, forgiving, forgiving, right? And then it says, faith like a mustard seed. You can move the mulberry tree, right? In Matthew 21, actually, let's not look at that one yet. Mark 11, I believe it's Mark 11. Mark 11. 20. Yeah. Talking about the fig tree. Actually, both of these are like the same. So here's what it says. Mark 11 says, 
Truly I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, it will be done. It will be yours. All right, so we say he has faith and does not doubt. Interesting. Over here, faith like a mustard seed. Faith like a mustard seed. Faith and does not doubt. Let's go to Matthew 21. says, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, so both the Mark 11 and the Matthew 21 says, if you have faith like a mustard seed and do not doubt, right? Actually, it, says, it doesn't say like a mustard seed. Matthew 21, okay, well, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because in Matthew 17, in order to move a mountain, you have to have a mustard seed faith. In Mark chapter 11, it says if you have faith and do not doubt, you can move a mountain. Matthew 21 says if you have faith and do not doubt, you can, have, you can move a mountain. But over here it says if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can uproot a mulberry tree. You see what I'm saying? Very interesting. I find it interesting. I'm so glad Jesus used the mountain illustration for Matthew 17 and Matthew 21. Because he's teaching us something. Faith like a mustard seed. So they're talking about increase our faith. And Jesus is saying the size of your faith is not the problem. Do you have a mustard seed faith? Now we have to ask ourselves, what is a mustard seed faith? Is it, we obviously we know it's the beginning. First of all, in the mulberry tree, it talks about forgiveness. So a mustard seed, I believe, Mustard seed faith always begins with forgiveness. Number one, characteristics of mustard seed faith. <laughs> Number one, it begins, it's the beginning of all your faith and it's forgiveness. Number one, people want to increase their faith. The only time they ever asked for God to increase their faith was for forgiveness, not for healing anybody. Or forgiveness. <laughs> that one seemed to be harder than casting out a demon. <laughs> and Jesus is saying the beginning of your faith is forgiveness. Mustard seed faith is the beginning of your faith and it starts with forgiveness. But the second thing, mustard seed faith, if you're going to parallel this illustration of moving a mountain, you've got to pay attention to over here because both of these talk about mountain moving faith as well. So I think what mustard seed faith isn't just the size of faith. Actually, I don't think it has anything to do with the mustard size of the faith. I think it has to do with your, not the size of your faith, but the size of your doubt. <laughs> not your level of faith it has to do with the level of your doubt. If you have faith and do not doubt, watch this. Let's go over here.
Matthew chapter 14. Verse 31. Matthew 14, verse 31. Let's go to verse 28. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter came out on the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Question, does, does Peter have faith? He could not have gotten out of the boat without faith. Peter has faith. Very important to know. No one else had faith like Peter at that moment. Peter had faith. He would never have gotten out of the boat if he didn't have faith. But when he saw the wind... Oh, wait a minute. You remember that 12-year ailment? Peter did the opposite of the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood had a bad experience for 12 years. She heard the report of Jesus, pressed through the crowd, got her healing. That's why Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Peter saw Jesus on the water. He heard a report too. He said, if that's you, call me out. Come. There's the report. Come. In other words, it's me. So he heard Jesus, he saw Jesus. Jesus wasn't even Jesus' idea for Peter to go out in the water. In fact, it says that he would have passed them by. Check this out. Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he, while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Okay? Uh, it's not this. It's not this passage. There's another passage that says, "And he would have passed them by." So it, he wasn't even going to stop. Matthew chapter fourteen. It's going to be Mark chapter six and John. So just one second. Let me see if I can find it. Mark six. Mark six, forty-five. Y'all following along pretty good. Yeah, it's Mark chapter 6, says, uh, 6 verse 48, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Alright, you see that he was meaning to go past them. He wasn't even intending... Jesus didn't have the, did not have the intention on getting Peter out of the boat. It was Peter's idea. <laughs> hey, if that's you. Why? You know what pleases God? It's not the fact that... You, you, know, you know what Jesus said? He says, I only do what I see my Father doing. Well, you know what Peter did? He only did what he saw Jesus doing. It wasn't a matter of, oh, I have a special calling on my life. Peter didn't wait for a special calling. Peter put a demand on the calling. It's like Isaiah, here I am, send me. Peter said, if that's you, Lord, I want to be where you are. The presence. I'm talking about the presence of the Lord. 
Always wanting the presence of the Lord. To be in the presence of the Lord is to be in the will of God. Just to be with Him. If that's you, Lord, call me out. Come. So he gets out of the boat, right? So he had faith. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. All right, so he did the opposite of what that woman did. He saw the wind. I don't know how you see the wind. But he saw He saw the wind. This proves to you that seeing is not believing. Only hearing. He saw Jesus out there. He saw Jesus out there. In fact, he saw himself walking out there. He was experiencing it. Just because you experience it, just because you see it, doesn't mean that you have faith. Doesn't mean that you can retain your faith by what you're experiencing. Your experience should never, ever, 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 ever dictate your faith. Only what you heard. He saw the wind. You can't even see wind, but he saw the wind. <laughs> he saw the wind. I don't get it. God. He saw the wind. You know, I, when I first started believing in healing, I'd have these people come get prayed for. And uh, I'd pray for them, they get healed, and I wouldn't believe it. I was so skeptical of everything. That's when I realized it didn't matter what I saw. I was never going to believe unless I believed what he said. I could explain everything away. Here is Peter walking on the freaking water. And then he saw the wind, which he can't see. I don't get this. You see what I'm saying? Do you see the, the power of experience it's, it, versus the power of, this, of the word of God? You have to know the Word of God. The Word of God has to trump all of your experience. Because he is seeing this happen. He's experiencing it. He's walking on the water. He's touching it. He's feeling it. And then all of a sudden, he sees something he can't see. He, it's like almost like a vain imagination. How can you see the wind? Something he could not see became more in his face than what he was actually experiencing. The wind. Maybe another, maybe another explanation of this is that he became aware of the wind. You know, like have you ever been like, I see, but you're not really saying anything. Right. That's what happened. Kind of like he saw the waves, maybe. He saw the waves. It says he saw the wind. It, what happened was he began to recognize what he was doing. What did I do? I got out in the middle of this water. I'm walking on it. What am I thinking? He had the opposite revelation. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes people have what's called an epiphany or this revelation. They get something. All of a sudden, oh. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh, I can't. Oh my, that's amazing, right? He did the opposite. Oh my gosh, what am I doing, right? That's, <laughs> he had an awakening. That's what that the word, I believe that's probably what that word means. Saw. He had an awakening. He woke up to the fact that he was doing something impossible. And how in the world was he going to do this? He saw it. That saw is his awakening. It's like opening his eyes for the first time. And he's recognizing what did I just do? Like somebody who jumped out of the airplane without, without a parachute. What the heck was I thinking? 
That's what, he, that's what happened to him. I, he saw the wind. His eyes were open. It's, it, it's, it's a repentance is what it is. He repented in his mind of what he did. It's the same idea of whenever the prodigal son was in the mire with the pigs and he came to his senses. What am I doing? I could be in my father's house getting paid. This is such a good word. He saw in his mind. He, he repented from faith. You can repent. Repent means to have a change of mind. He repented. He was walking in faith, and then he saw the wind. Like the prodigal son when he was in the mire, and he's like, he had a revelation of, I could have a better living if I was with my father as a slave. His eyes were open. Same thing with Peter. But it was the opposite. It's kind of like when the, but you know what he experienced? The same thing that Adam maybe experienced. When they ate of the tree and their eyes were opened. Were they blind before? No, they saw better before than they could see now. <laughs> they had a change of mind. Their minds was changed. That's such a good word. Jesus, you're awesome. He saw the wind. He repented in his mind of his faith. That's what doubt is. Doubt is when you repent of faith. Hmm. How do you see the wind? Check it out. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Fear. Boom. So he repented of faith and immediately entered fear. The moment you repent from faith is the moment you have fear. So here's a telltale time. Here's a telltale sign that you've repented of your faith when you have fear. When you all of a sudden get afraid, you just repented from faith. Let that sink in for a minute. When we are here's how you know if you repented from faith if you enter into fear. He, and he was afraid, and watch this, and beginning to sink, repented again. Cried out, Lord, save me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Jesus immediately reached out in his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? All right, so these other times... If the translations are correct, and it's faith as small, let's say small as a grain of mustard seed, he's saying to them, your faith isn't even as big as a mustard seed faith. I find that funny. People use this all the time. You know, Jesus, Jesus said you just had to have a mustard seed faith. Just a small, a small amount of faith. Jesus rebuked little faith. And if he ever told them you have to have a size of a mustard seed faith, he was saying that because they didn't even have a size of a mustard seed faith. <laughs> they didn't even have that level yet. 
<laughs> you know, everybody said, but you know, I've heard people say, you know, everybody gets a mustard seed faith. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It says that you have to get a What is it, though? It's a gift. The Bible says that, um, that faith is a gift. There's a, there's a gifting called faith. I don't understand that. Sorry. Can't explain it. But I do know this. Faith has everything to do with humility. What you're doing is when Jesus says, yeah, come on the water, and you get on the water and you start seeing the wind, and you start repenting from faith, what you're doing is you're full of pride. Because you think you know better than Jesus. Jesus just said, come out of the water. You don't think you can do it? You can only do it because he told you to. He said, come out of the water. So go walk in the water. Well, I don't know if I can do that. You're full of pride. <laughs> God just said you could do it. And you don't believe him. So it takes humility to have faith. That's why grace comes through faith and humility. God gives grace to the humble. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Faith and humility are like twin sisters. You have to humble yourself before God. Whenever we have doubt, what it is, is we believe we know better than God. That's what doubt is. Doubt is pride. Doubt is to exalt your opinion above the Word of God. When you doubt the Word of God, you exalt your own opinion above the Word of God. That is pride. Faith is to submit. Faith is to trust. Faith is to surrender. So faith and humility are twin sisters. They hold hands. You can't have faith without humility. It's tough. You cannot have faith without humility. Humility is the escort of faith. You'll never find faith. You'll never go to a place where there's faith and not find humility. There has to be humility to ever have faith. Come. He saw the wind. He had this vain imagination. He repented from his faith. He entered into fear. And then Jesus rebuked him for his little faith. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, how can you say he had little faith? He's walking on the water. Because Jesus doesn't define your faith by how big or small it is. He defines your faith by how much doubt you have. Do you have doubt? Do you have faith and not doubt? We see in Matthew chapter 17 that the father comes to Jesus and Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, heal my son. And Jesus says, if you can do anything, all things are possible for one who believes. And then the father goes, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> so we realize that doubt, which is also unbelief and or fear, mm, doubt, unbelief, fear, what they are, you can have faith and unbelief at the same time. But doubt will always cancel out the product of your faith. Have you ever heard that phrase, don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith? Don't dig up in doubt what you have planted in faith. It's the same thing as going fishing, casting out your line, and then when you don't see any results, you reel it back in. That's called doubt. Faith means, faith is throwing it out there, believing you're going to catch something. Doubts when you go, ah, I don't know if this is going to work. You already yell it back in. Doubt is the recoil of your faith. Doubt is the recoil 
of your faith. In fact, the fact that you have doubt is evident that you had faith in the first place. You can never have doubt unless you had faith in the first place. Doubt is the repentance of faith. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. You could believe for one second. Think about it. The first time you read Jesus' word when he said, pray anything in my name and you'll receive it. I mean, immediately you were like, oh, that's awesome. But immediately after that you go, did God really say that? <laughs> right? You, you believe for a split second you had faith. That's why, that's why when you have faith, it's important to act right away. Before, before doubt has a chance. In fact, a lack of understanding will bring doubt. You know you don't have to understand that to have faith? Children don't understand anything. They just believe. But it's your lack of understanding that causes you to have doubt. Because you just feel like, I just got to understand this. But you don't have to understand it. <laughs> it says in the Word, it says, the, 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 the seed that goes on that rocky soil over there by the, by the wayside, then the birds come and pick it up for lack of understanding. I don't think that it means that you did not have faith because of lack of understanding. It's when you exalt your understanding above your faith that the seed gets stolen by the bird. Such a good word. Let me say that again. You don't have to have understanding to have faith. Generally, faith deals with things that are impossible. There's not a way you're going to understand that. How do you, can you, can anyone explain? Do you think Peter could have explained him walking on water? There's no way to understand that. There's no way to understand. It's when you tried to understand, when he saw the wind and he tried to make sense of things. <laughs> Come on. When he tried to make sense of things, that's when doubt came in. I'm not saying we shouldn't seek knowledge and understanding. I'm saying the moment our understanding or our lack of understanding begins hindering our faith, then it becomes pride. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him, He'll make your path straight. Our own understanding is what breeds doubt. Hmm. Our own understanding is what breeds doubt. When you are trying to understand something, you are fanning the flames of your doubt. When you are just trying to make sense of it, and you're trying to make it all work out in your little brain, that's when doubt just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the moment you surrender and say, I don't get it, I don't understand, whatever you want, Lord, your way only, Think about it. Look at Zechariah, the priest who had John the Baptist, and the angel of the Lord came to him and said, "You will have a child, and you'll name his. You'll have a son, and you'll name him John, for he will make way for the Messiah." Right? And Zechariah says, "How can this be? I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman." And then it says, "Because you doubted the word of God, I'll make you mute." So he made Zechariah mute. Why? He didn't want him speaking any more doubt. <laughs> Why? Because Zechariah is trying to make sense of it. How can this be? Now, you have to understand, listen, you understand, he asked the same question Mary did. But why didn't Mary get struck mute? Because the question was a questioning 
rather than a question of intimacy? They ask the same question. How can this be? I'm not mistaken. Let me check it out. Uh, if you question to grow intimate with God versus if you question, okay, is the difference between my son saying, Daddy, why does this happen? Versus, why? <laughs> right? right. <laughs> One questions so that they can grow to know my mind, to know my heart, versus one that questions my character, that questions whether I'm true to my word. Once <laughs> Oh, where is it? Luke chapter 1. None of this is in my notes. <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the first one of my notes. Luke chapter 1, chapter 26. I mean, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel was sent. No, let's go up. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. So we're verse 13. Mm. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel of the Lord said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision. All right, so you see right here, he said, how can this be? How shall I know? For I'm an old man. You know, it's funny. You know what? It might even be, how, how shall I know this? Like, give me a sign. I'm going to strike you mute. <laughs> he was wanting a sign to confirm that what the angel was saying was true. But he's still questioning. How shall I know? What did yours say? How can this be? How can I be sure this will happen? For I'm an old man. All right. So look at um, look at chapter uh, verse 34. No, no. Let's go to verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, "Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you." But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and, you'll, and, and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, he so was nice to her. <laughs> like, what's the difference? Zechariah, he's just asking. There's a difference of heart here. 
Zechariah questioned the angel, didn't believe it. He, he was questioning because he didn't believe. Mary was questioning because she wanted to understand. She wanted to, she believed. But how can this be? Explain to me. You see, there's a difference between someone who's humble and someone who's prideful. He asked in pride. How, how can I know this is going to be happening? It's not going to, I don't believe you. That's his, that was his heart. He said, how will I know this is for sure? But in his heart, he didn't believe. Mary, on the other hand, asked almost the same question. How can this be? For I'm a virgin. <laughs> but in her heart, she was submitted. There's a difference. It's good stuff. It's kind of like the word said. That's Zechariah said. And then Mary asked. You know, hmm. Two different attitudes. Right. Almost the same question. Right. Two different attitudes. Exactly. So we understand. Here's what we're trying to say. When we're seeking to understand, when we're trying to put all the pieces together instead of letting God just tell us how it is and us submitting to it, it's our lack of understanding that causes us to doubt. But what did Mary believe? What did, Mary, what did Zechariah understood one thing. He was old. You know what Mary understood? God's not a liar. Wow. You see, you have to understand. But what are you trying to understand? Are you trying to understand how your weakness can't fulfill the Word of God? Or are you trying to understand how God's strength can make it happen? You know that whenever, um, hmm, you know when Solomon built the temple? There's two pillars outside the temple. One means Boaz. One's called Boaz and one is called Jachin. The word, the word Boaz means in him you will find strength. And Jachin means he will establish. In the temple, when we meet God, when we come into the temple, when we're coming into the presence of God, we have to know two things before we even enter. Right outside, we're talking about the temple. Right before they went into the temple, there's a pillar right here and a pillar right here. One's called Jachin. And one called Boaz. Before you go inside that temple, you need to know two things. In him there is strength, and he will establish. That's the only two things you need to know. In him there is strength, and he will establish. When we go into the temple of God, there's got to be a point where we, when we know we go before God confidently. Not confident in what's going to happen in us, but confident that what he says will come to pass. This is so good. In him there is strength, and he will establish. Those are the two things you must understand before you go into the temple, before you go into the presence of God. You don't need to understand what you're going to do in your strength. You're not going to need to understand how you're going to accomplish it. No, his strength and his ability to establish. Man, we're like totally off. <laughs> So let's go back to our original story, Jairus' daughter, Mark chapter 5. <laughs> Who touched my garments, right? But the woman, knowing what had happened, came to her fear and trembling and fell down to him right and, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the rulers of the house. So we understand real quick before we get to here. That faith of a mustard seed is faith that does not doubt. 
Faith of a mustard is a faith that leans into God's understanding, not our own understanding. You must have understanding, but you must not have your own understanding, because your understanding won't ever work out. Man, there are so many truths in this thing. I've never preached any of this stuff before. This is awesome. Yes. God's good. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your, of your disease. I've preached half of this. But some of this stuff I haven't. Like this, uh, like that. Anyway, this is good stuff. Golly. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came to the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Okay, so we can look at him and be like, Look, Jesus, man, you spent too much time with that woman with the issue of blood. Now the person died. Way to go, Jesus. <laughs> it looks like failure, right? I mean, we know the end of the story, but imagine you're there with the disciples and Jesus, right? You don't know the end of the story. All you know is that he got sidetracked. Jesus, way to go. You got interrupted. We had, a, we had one thing to do. You had one thing to do, Jesus. Get to Jairus' daughter before she died. Now she's dead. See what I'm saying? You know, there's things that we are on a mission to get accomplished. We're on our way to get this thing done, and all of a sudden, we get sidetracked. We have this big picture in mind. I got to get this done, but all of a sudden now, I'm stuck at the barracks for nine months. And it looks like all the things I had in mind, all my dreams, all my visions, everything I was pursuing, what I was going after, it died. <laughs> what I was going to go accomplish passed away. We have to value the interruption. In that interruption, something happened. Something really beautiful happened. <laughs> That's why, you know, we have schedules and stuff like that, but man, when we go out there and we, we're selling our banana bread and whatnot, I value the interruptions. I've got one mission, and that's to raise money for our, for our ministry. But on the way, I'm looking for interruptions. Where's my woman with issue of blood needs to get healed? Where's the woman who has cancer that, you know, has to wear a rag on her head? We gotta lay hands on her so she can be healed in the middle of some banana bread sales. Who needs to get saved? What's this guy dealing with? You know? Might not make our might not make our quota because man, Zach got to preaching with somebody for two hours in Brady. That little pizza place. Didn't sell nothing. But somebody got set free and delivered. And then God still paid our bills. You know? I'm talking about a real story here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Why? Because we're about doing the kingdom work. It's, we're not doing our own stuff. You know what I mean? Of course, we've got to raise our funds for the, ministry, for the ministry and stuff, and that's priority, you know, to a certain degree. But 
but interruptions are very important. You know, I'm not saying that we get completely sidetracked and don't do our job. I'm saying that even if something was to happen like that, you know, I remember this one lady came to me. I went and prayed for her, prayed for someone who died. He was, he got in a wreck and I went and prayed for this person. And his girlfriend said to me, do you think it's because they, they weren't feeding him at the end there in his coma that, you know, he died? And I looked at her and said, if we're going to believe God for a miracle, we're believing God for a miracle. I don't, there's nothing that can hold back the miracle. If he starved to death, if he died of brain damage, if he, whatever, it doesn't matter. We're, either we're believing God for a miracle or, or we're, I mean, what are we doing here? We're believing God for a miracle. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter, you know. I don't have a victorious ending to that story. I just, that's something that hit me when I was sitting there. How, are we going to allow anything to get in the way? Of what we believe, you know. So he goes on, right? <clears throat> While he's still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, "Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further?" But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, "Do not fear; only believe." Listen, when you get a bad report, there's only one option. Do not fear; only believe. Why did he see only believe? Because you can believe and have fear at the same time. Do not fear, only believe. Listen, when you're, this is, this is the command of Jesus. When you're going to go believe God for something, do not fear, only believe. Why only believe? Because you can fear and believe at the same time. He's telling you to get rid of your fear and only believe. There's only room, make room only for belief. Get rid of your fear and only believe. How do you get rid of fear? Perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love cast out fear. If you understand, you know what the problem is? You know what people are afraid of? They're afraid of God. Not that he doesn't, that he's not going to move. You're questioning God's mercy. You're questioning the character of God. You're questioning God as whether God is able and or wants to heal. God's a good God. He's got good character. He's going to believe. He's going to heal. Only believe. Perfect love. Cast out all fear. How do you get rid of your fear? Focus. Don't look at the wind. Don't repent from your faith. Perfect love. What is love? Commitment. God is committed to you. If you fear, that means you forgot how committed he was to you. That's a really good word. If we fear, that means we forgot how perfectly committed he was to us. Do not fear, only believe. Only believe. It's the only command you have. You only have one option. When you get bad news, don't fear, only believe. It's really good. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. Why? Because those people weren't afraid and they only believed. So he got rid of everybody else. Anyone who had doubt, get out of the way. We don't have time to waste on you. <laughs> only those who believe. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. Get out of here. And took the child's, <laughs> and took the child's mother and father and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, 
which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. To leave the kumai. So I was driving back after our teaching the first time we recorded this, and the Lord, I feel like the Lord spoke to me and showed me that I was having a daughter. And that I was going to have to call her, that I was going to call her Talitha. So I got home, and I told Sarah, I think we're having a girl, and we're supposed to call her Talitha. So I prayed over the baby in the name of Jesus, and thank you, Lord, this little girl will live and not die. <clears throat> so the next day, we go down to the doctor at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to get a checkup, and the baby's perfectly healthy. And then they, uh, they said, we're going to draw blood. Do you want to know the gender? I said, yes. <laughs> we had never done that before. Normally, we wait, but... You know, normally we don't do the, the DNA test or whatever. So a week later, we found out it's a girl. So we're going to call her Talitha. So God is faithful and God is good. No matter what you see, you don't look at your current report. You don't look at what you see. You only look and listen to the Word of God. That's why. Hey, thank you for watching and listening to this channel. Be sure to hit the like button and share it to your friends. And subscribe to our channel for more content every single week. And if you haven't yet, go visit our website at bombszs.com. We have a lot of content there and a lot of things wow. for you that are absolutely free. So be sure to utilize us as much as possible. We hope that you were blessed by this message. Till next time, have a blessed day.